let's do it. Um, all right, if you got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1. I'm going to drink of water. Uh, it will magically appear on the screen behind me in just a minute. And we're going to read the whole first chapter. Um, in this next season, we're going to be looking at this letter um, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Can everybody say Thessalonica? Beautiful. Um, and so we will be looking at this uh, over the next, uh, I think it's five or six weeks. And we'll be starting in chapter one. So it's only ten verses. I'm going to read this and then we are going to dive into it together. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit in deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful thankful for your word. We're thankful that we are not sent to walk through this life uninformed on who you are, uninformed on how we shall live. But you've given us this book, this collection of poems and stories and letters to help guide us, to direct us, but also to convict us. And I pray that Today, where our lives or our thoughts or our hearts are out of line with your kingdom, out of line with the scripture, may you correct us. May you, in gentleness, convict us of sin. And may we have the courage, through the Holy Spirit, to repent and be corrected, be moldable, and submit to your word. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you that we get to have a body of Christians to walk through life with. I thank you for the additions to our staff of Will and Karen. And I pray that you would bless them. Bless their roles here. Bless their families. Bless them with deep intimacy with you, their time in the scripture, their time in prayer. May this season be a time where our church is blessed, but that they are blessed with deeper fellowship with you. And Father, I pray for our church. I pray for those that are doing well. I pray they would stay encouraged. And I pray for those who are struggling here this morning. 
I pray that you would be wind in their sails. I pray for the kingdom to come where there's brokenness, where there's economic disparity in our city, in our neighborhoods, where there's housing issues, where there's health issues, where there's job issues, where there's relationship problems and strife. Father, may your kingdom come. May we be instruments of peace. May we be far from sin and near to the kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said, over the next season, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's all too easy to imagine when we hear words like Thessalonica, these New Testament cities, uh, thinking about them as they belong in kind of an ancient storybook, ancient history that are too distant for us to really know about or experience today. But Thessalonica, to give a little background here, knowing we're going to spend some time in this epistle, would be like a lot of cities or towns that people live in today. It's a place with a long history built in a location with good sea and road transport links with a thriving economy and everything to offer for those who could afford it. And Paul arrived in this Thessalonica, this place, a short time, after a short time in Philippi. In Philippi, Paul was illegally arrested and released when he let the authorities know that he was a Roman citizen. So being a Roman citizen, uh, even though they arrested him, uh, he could be set free. And as typical, after that happened, Paul went to the local synagogue. There's a little bit of background on how we get to this epistle. So he went to the synagogue, reasoned from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah that everybody had been looking for. He talked to the religious leaders of the dead, Originally, the day about how Jesus had suffered, uh, had died, and risen from the dead. In the book of Acts, we see a lot of these details. And Luke indicates in that book of Acts that Jews, the Jewish people, were persuaded, but there's also a large number of God fearing Gentiles and quite a few prominent women as well. So the church was beginning to almost uh, have like the initial diversification of the church. Because of the success, some of the other Jewish people, some of the folks that were not quite as excited about Paul and Jesus, they incited a mob, they started a riot, is what the scripture says. And they drove that Apostle Paul right out of town. They seized a guy named Jason, who was a prominent Thessalonian, who was hosting Paul and his buddy Silas in his home. So the people bring Jason before the city officials and they claim that Paul had been turning the world upside down. Not wrong. But he had been defying Caesar's decree, Caesar kind of the head honcho dude of the day, claiming that there is another king, this King Jesus. So Paul then pieces out, forced to leave the city. And these opponents, these guys that were not big fans of Paul, they not only said, see you later, they decided to follow Paul. They weren't quite done uh, being a pest to Paul. So they followed him to a place called Berea. So Paul is forced to travel then alone. Goes to Athens, eventually to Corinth, where we get First and Second Corinthians. And all this, if you're interested in more details, is in the book of Acts. But then Silas and Timothy, apart from Paul... They returned to Thessalonica and then rejoined Paul later in Corinth. We see later in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says to Timothy that Paul says that Timothy had just now come from you and reported good news. 
So Paul is not in Thessalonica, but, but Timothy had been there, reports this good news to the Apostle Paul. The good news is that the church in Thessalonica, praise the Lord, had continued to grow in faith, grow in love, and has stood against the attacks that have been made against it. This young church was doing so well. So this letter in 1 Thessalonians, written by Paul, it's not to chronicle history. The book of Acts, in a lot of ways, helps kind of give what happened in the early days of the early church. This is not written for that purpose. It's not written just to espouse theology. But it is written from a man to a church, a church full of people that he loved. These people had heard the gospel through Silas and Timothy, who were pupils of Paul, and they had begun to meet together. This ragtag group of folks had begun to gather together. They broke bread. They were fellowshipping. They were studying the scriptures together. The gospel had come. People had come to know Jesus. And the next step was they formed a church community. In some books, like the letters to the Corinthian church, there is heavy rebuking. Lots of things that they're doing wrong. But here, Paul, as we'll see as we go through this, is actually incredibly encouraged. And he wants to be further wind in their sails. Yes, there is some correction, but we first must see that this is written from a man with a personal connection to these people and an affection for the audience of the letter. And there's a saying in life that says, what you celebrate, what you praise, shows what you value. So Paul gives us in this first chapter what he gives to us, Redeemer Community Church, 2,000 years later. He gives us what, he shows us what he values in the church by what he praises about what God is doing with these people. And if we want to be a people who value what God values, brothers and sisters, may we be a church that values what the Bible values in a church. So Paul, in this letter, beautifully highlights the thing that stuck out to me the most in this first chapter. He highlights the interconnectedness of the church. For those of you who can see, I'd love for you to tell me what you think this is. You can say it out loud. It's a puzzle piece. It was actually that one, but somehow between setting it up in church, it, it, that one's gone. So I had to get another one. Um, but so this is a puzzle piece. In this, in, by itself, either one of these puzzle pieces has value. It has beauty to it. It has colors. It has, you know, your, your different kind of contrast to it. Some puzzle pieces, if you have one of those kids' puzzles with like 12 pieces, you can see kind of part of like big pictures on there, people's faces or cars or trains. But we would all know, even the youngest in this crowd, that the beauty of a puzzle piece is first and foremost how it fits in with a bigger puzzle. So you'll see on the screen next is this is the actual puzzle. So though these pieces are beautiful, not nearly as beautiful as the future doctor on the screen. And so we see in this that the puzzle pieces have value but they only fully realize their value when they are interconnected with the other pieces. The church in Thessalonica, their faith, their obedience, their commitment to living out the love of Jesus impacted 
other churches and the people in that city. Listen to what Paul says. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us in the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And what was the result of that? It says, Paul tells them, you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. This idea that the people in the early church, and even early churches, their faith had an impact on the people around them. And this idea of interconnectedness is found throughout all of Scripture. You think about 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, it describes the, the, the fellowship of Christians by saying the body is a unit. It is composed of many parts. And although its parts are many, they all form one body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that too would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? This idea we see was being praised in the first chapter of this epistle to this young church is that their faith, their walking out of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God was incredibly interconnected to other believers. And we see this, like I said, throughout all of Scripture. I was reading last night in Hebrews 13, and it hit me again. I, I sent a note to myself to say, include this. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The people in this room who are following Jesus, you are not just fellow you know, uh, sitters in seats on a Sunday morning. You are brothers and sisters. And in the call, this is the last chapter of Hebrews, in the call to those that audience, he says, continue to remember those in prison. It doesn't just end it there. He says, as if you were together with them in prison. The people that are suffering, going through heartache, you don't just love them. You're loving them as if you were going through it with them. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. We were made to be in deep fellowship, interconnected. How I am doing has an impact on you. Your faith has an impact on each other. This is how God interacts with people from the beginning of time. Read the Old Testament. God is not simply talking to individuals. He's talking to the people of Israel. The theme of us being interconnected is throughout all of Scriptures, but the reality is that as Westerners in particular, we struggle so much with this. So a quote I'm going to read is by a guy named, I don't, have a, I don't have a chance of pronouncing his last name right, but it's a Frenchman named Alexis de Tocqueville. I should, ask Lily, I should have asked Lily how to do this before I got started here. But a Frenchman who traveled extensively in the United States and then wrote a book called Democracy in America, he said, his observations of America said, individualism... Individualism is a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate themselves from the mass 
and withdraw into the circle of family and friends with this little society formed to his or her taste. He or she gladly leaves the greater society to just simply look after themselves. Brothers and sisters, this was written 200 years ago and could be applied to America right now. Recently, a guy named Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor, so I love these folks that are non-American kind of coming in to give observations about our culture. He said, the highest good in that society seems to be individual freedom, individual happiness, individual self-definition and self-expression. As a people, as a church, I honestly think that we do a pretty good job of battling against this. But this is the stream of the society we're living in, and we are swimming upstream when we're fighting against individualism. And the reality is that we swim pretty hard as people at this this church, but all of us, if you're human, when you are swimming hard upstream and you're seeking to have this interconnected life to where you're dependent upon other people in a healthy way, your faith is rubbing off on others, their faith is rubbing off on you, When that's going smoothly, you have seemingly the power to keep rowing upstream. But we also need to acknowledge that everybody in this room has been hurt at one point or another. And when that happens, there is an instinct in all of us, and including myself, to where I say, oh, that person who I had formed a bond with hurt me, sinned against me. Even if there's reconciliation, I can tell in my own heart the next person that gets welcomed into the church, I'm a little bit more standoffish. I'm a little bit slower to jump in relationally. And so this idea of the rugged individualism of our culture, if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful, if we are not uh, intentional, we will just get swept right into the stream, back into the stream. And I'm also here to tell you, if you've, have been, like I said, if you've been at Redeemer for a decent chunk of time, you've begun to taste a life that is different than the individualism of our culture. I've watched it. I've watched your faith have a deep impact on each other. I've watched your hospitality, which is the outpouring of God's hospitality to you. I've watched you pour it out to each other. And friends, it would blow your mind how many people come to Leon and myself or other staff members and tell us how at Redeemer, for a lot of them, it's the first time they've ever felt safe at church. Safe to be themselves. Safe to be vulnerable with their sin, with their pain. Safe to recover from wounds and addiction. And brothers and sisters, that's your faith. That is your willingness to swim upstream and welcome people into the interconnected faith that we're called to share. And I'm talking to you members at Redeemer when I want you to keep pushing this direction. But as I prepared this message, I was struck by the timing of it that two weeks from now, we will install new members on that Sunday night into the membership here at Redeemer. And I want to speak to you all who have been coming to church for a while and are kind of contemplating, do I want to take that step towards membership? You hear, you know, when Leon and I do our coffee with you, you'll hear this again. But what we're inviting you into is to join a body of believers 
that is ready to deeply impact each other. You're being invited to both be impacted by them and do the impacting. And what so often happens with church is that people come and they're excited to serve, which we love, which we're so thankful for. We think it's so healthy. But what I'm saying doesn't fully sink in until you're on the receiving end of that serving. Until you're in the vulnerable spot. When your faith dips into that valley. When your heart is broken over a loss of a family member or sickness or economic despair or struggles, whatever it is, that's when it really starts to sink in. And we do this. We do this interconnected life because we do discipleship in groups. We do interconnected life with worship. We do this corporately together. We take communion as a church. If you are getting married at Redeemer and we go through the order of service for your wedding, you have the option of either doing communion or not doing communion, but you don't have the option to just take communion as a married couple. And no, you know, no uh, shame on you if that was part of your story uh, before Redeemer, but the reality is that we don't have that as part of how we do church because communion was never meant to be an individualistic thing. So if we're going to have communion at the wedding, everybody, the servers, you know, bring in the food, they're invited. If they're a believer, they're invited to partake of communion with us. Because we all, when we take communion alongside each other, we're looking at each other, recognizing we see the good that's happening. But for at least some people in this room, you also know the sin of some of the folks in that line to take communion. And in faith, those people who have struggled, who have committed sin, have repented again, they're proclaiming their own need for Jesus every Sunday morning. And again, are accepting communion as an act of faith. Tish Harrison Warren, a theologian in our diocese, says this beautifully in one of her books. She says, we are not simply individuals in church with our pet sins and our private brokenness. We're people who desperately need each other. We are to seek Christ and walk in repentance. Because of this, I need to hear, she's talking personally, I need to hear my forgiveness proclaimed, not only by God, but by a representative of the people of Christ in which I receive grace. To remind me that through my sin, though my sin is worse than I care to admit, I'm still welcome here. I'm still called into this community in love. Brothers and sisters, when we pass the peace as a part of the Eucharist liturgy, what we're doing as a community, we're looking at each other in the eye and proclaiming the peace that comes from the gospel. So you can read about it in the Bible, but there's something profound about your peers giving that to you again and again and again. And this is one of the reasons why my heart is so full when the church is full on a Sunday morning. We do not want to become legalistic about church attendance. We don't take role here at the church. Uh, We don't know when you're here and when you're not here. But when you show up on a Sunday morning, you're showing up for yourself, but you're not just showing up for yourself. You're showing up for the other people in this room. You're singing for the person whose faith can only whisper the song to the Lord. You're passing the peace to someone who woke up that morning feeling deep, deep shame over sin they committed. 
You're loudly saying the scripture because when you say it, it's wind in the sails to someone around you who can't muster up the strength to say it. And a pastor I know recently shared a story from his church. And when he said this, I said, this is what I want Redeemer to be like. He said, today in church, a slightly older man who had lost his wife years ago, he stood up during their announcement time. And during their announcement time, if you think our announcement time is long, they just have an open announcement time at their church. Um, But stood up during announcement time. And he sadly confessed to the church, or proclaimed to the church, that he had been diagnosed with a cognitive decline. This means that his, his brain was beginning to fail him. And he said over tears, he said he no longer remembers the names of all the members at the church when he sees them on a Sunday morning. But he ended by saying... I want this place to be a safe place for me when I forget all of your names. He wanted to show up at church knowing that he would continue to be loved even when we had, he had nothing to offer. And that's the church. The church is being affirmed in Thessalonica. And I want that to be our story as well. And this faith is being passed on The faith that comes from Jesus is not only changing hospitality, changing their welcoming in, but it's also changing those people in Thessalonica. Paul says, you became imitators of us in the Lord. You became a model to the believers in Macedonia. They tell how you turned to God from idols. And so, yes, keep doing what you're doing, but I also know that many of you are back again on Sunday morning struggling with the same sins you struggled with the week before. And I want you to know, and I want you to really hear from me, that you are fully loved, you're fully accepted, even in your struggles. But he also gives you the opportunity and the power to change. If you feel stuck, if you feel handcuffed by your sin, if you feel stagnant, in the faith. You come to Jesus for forgiveness, but you come when you take the Eucharist. We pray every Sunday that it becomes spiritual nourishment for you. Spiritual nourishment for you. Remember how beloved you are, but because you are so loved, you're also able to be changed by that love. So come to receive and come to be changed. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gospel of Jesus. We're so thankful for the church both in Thessalonica and in Atlanta. And Father, may we be a place where our faith is taken seriously and our faith is being used to grow the faith of our brothers and sisters. Father, nourish us, grow us up, change us into being people who look more and more like Jesus. Christ's name we pray. Amen.